Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of the Single Seater Space podcast. Today we are talking about the release of a new documentary for IndyCar and whether it will bring in new viewers like Drive to Survive has with Formula 1. We will also be doing a pre-season review into Formula E and talking about the newly released sprint race calendar in Formula 1. As always, you can check out all of our content on our website singleseaterspace.co.uk and you can find us on social media using at singleseaterspace. I hope you enjoy. I'm here with Taryn this week because Dylan is away, our resident Formula E expert here in the single-seater space team, and we've got plenty to talk about this week. So we'll dive right in with some news that we heard yesterday from IndyCar that they're going to be launching their own behind-the-scenes fly-on-the-wall documentary. We've seen the success that Drive to Survive has had upon getting new fans into Formula 1. And whilst IndyCar's marketing has been questionable of late, they are definitely starting to put themselves out there into the world now. So, Taron, what did you think of the announcement uh, and what do you think is going to come from this? Well, I think we've seen the improvements, well, Drives 5 has done to the F1 fan community. I mean, we've seen a, a boom, if you like, in the amount of viewers we've had in F1. And it's some, some it's been good, some it's been bad. Uh, but I think overall, this is what we've always wanted. We've always wanted that best mate who we can talk to about F1 and... Now we can do that instead of searching through 50 of them, trying to search that one guy who can uh, understand what you're saying all the time. Yeah, no, I agree. And the same, t- and you know, with the exposure that Formula One has had, almost that Bernie Eccleston's model of like a no social media kind of a rich boys club, if you like, uh, driving it into the 20th century was um, was not working. You know, viewers were plummeting, the age was getting older. And so when F1 took the decision, it was a strong decision. They got Netflix on board. Um, and I saw a stat yesterday, which I thought was extremely interesting, which was that IndyCar is, um, in the races that we've had, has an average viewership well of over 50. More than half the people watching were over 50. And so the choice of channel that they put the... Uh, new documentary on it's going to be the CW which I'm not familiar with American television but having done a little bit of research apparently it's the fifth most watched channel in America and has a target Gen Z audience and so it feels like a clever marketing tool um, for IndyCar and uh, I guess we'll see how it gets on Um, but yeah I think overall it's something that was needed because did you notice something when watching IndyCar races, like the number of empty seats, things like that? And no, what did you think? Yeah, you always used to you always used to look at the grandstands and you'd, I mean, especially in F one these days, you're seeing packed grandstands, like people struggling to get any view of the action. And whilst in IndyCar, you're seeing these grandstands with empty seats, and it's actually really sad because you've got all these races, which, I mean, I've watched IndyCar for a year now. And some of the action has been pretty spectacular, if I can be honest. Um, and it's been really sad to just see these empty seats in the grandstand string races. And it's just not great. Yeah, I think, the, well, the only, of course, the Indy 500 is a sellout. It is pretty much every year. Um, it wasn't quite fully sold out. You could still get tickets, but it's still the largest single sporting event in a day. With more than 300, 350,000 people cramming into the speedway. The only other property properly marketed event 
this year was the Hy-Vee Iowa races because Hy-Vee put themselves out there. They're a supermarket mm. chain. They put themselves out there. They were massive with the promotion. The tickets were cheap. They had good entertainment and the people came. And this year, they've made a very yeah. bold call because they've hiked up the prices, but they've got bigger names coming for the concerts. So the Hy-Vee weekend is still the same, Saturday, Sunday. But I think Ed Sheeran is playing on Saturday night in... Uh, uh, at uh, uh, at the speedway um, in Iowa, do you think that'll? Do you think this gamble's going to pay off? Do you think people will pay the premium, or do you think that maybe they've um, maybe they've got a little bit greedy? I mean, I'm not going to start talking about the prices for F1 tickets these days. They're a bit ridiculous, if, <laughs> to be honest. But <laughs> I mean, what have you seen recently with the? with netflix and drive to survivors we're seeing sellout tickets it doesn't matter what the prices are you know las vegas for example the prices are like i think they've increased by nine times at some locations but i think with that viewership that they'll get on board with the documentary i think this is it's business like motorsport is a business and ultimately they're looking to gain a profit and well boosting the prices if they can and if they get a sellout it's a win-win for them. It's a lose for the fans, but we've got a better experience with these great artists. I mean, Ed Sheeran, he's a pretty brilliant artist and having him there will mean we'll have a great fan experience, if you like. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think I'd love to see IndyCar. I know that often the street courses are sold out. Um, I mean, like Nashville was sold out. Portland looked pretty busy. I know the backside mm. of the track was, wasn't so much, but... Um, it's really noticeable on on ovals, especially Texas Motor Speedway. When they go there, I thought the Texas race this year, I know 2021 was terrible and we don't need to get into that because we've blocked it from our memory and it's never <laughs> going to happen again. The 2022 race was excellent. We had a photo finish. And I just thought, I just felt a little bit sad that one, we might not be returning to Texas. That was the thought at the time. We are going back, which is nice. But two, that just there weren't enough bums on seats. Um... And with the Iowa Gamble, the thing about IndyCar is just so accessible. You can literally get every single IndyCar ticket, including paddock passes, for less than it costs, I think, for a weekend Silverstone ticket um, in a premium grandstand, say like Beckett's, which is unbelievable. That's 17 yeah. races for the price of one. Um, and, you know, the speeds are faster if you go to some, some events as well. So I feel like if they... If the gamble doesn't pay off for high V, I would be. I feel like I'd be disappointed. Um, but yeah, speaking of Portland, actually, uh, Formula E are going to the Portland International Raceway as well. If we yeah. move on. What do you new, think? New, new track. Well, I mean, we've got three new tracks on the Formula E calendar this year. We got we're off to India, I think, for round four to Hyderabad. Could be very interesting get a lot of audience there from india which i think is a missing market in the motorsport world at the moment yeah we've had f1 there at the bird international circuit sadly no longer there after 2013 but having formula e there as a, a big motorsport big part of the motorsport world i think that could gain some pretty good views in india um we've also going to cape town south africa i think that is going to be a pretty great race i mean we've missed south africa in in f1 for so long now and we, we i think we all want a race there yeah, Kyle but i think formula e going to yeah we want we want to go to south africa and see some racing so i think 
Formula E next season could be a very good one, and I think we were all hoping for a pretty good season. We got new cars, we got rule changes, which let, I'm going to be honest with you, the rule changes into Gen 2 were pretty confusing if you're a new fan. You had timed races with kind of no idea how many laps you're going to be watching, you were just looking at a ticking clock all the time. Um, fixed laps is a better way to run it, and for new viewers into this new generation of racing for Formula E, it could generate a great audience and we're hoping to see. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. And um, it's that situation where Formula E is tapping into that market that Formula One is missing out on. But at the same time, they're definitely able to coexist. Um, you see like the Pack Grandstands in London is a very different feel to the Pack Grandstands at Silverstone. Not only because it was so windy in London, I've heard, um, but not only that, but also that uh, it's uh, it's a completely different vibe. And it's not that the two are kind of counter counter against each other. They're both obviously FI homogenated se mm. series. Um, so I guess, yeah, tapping into those markets is a really successful tool. And I guess tapping into the Pacific Northwest in Portland as well. It's a city that loves its motorsport. Um, We've been to the International Raceway. I've heard, though, that they might be putting mobile chicanes in, perhaps down the straight. Uh, a little bit like when we went to Valencia in Formula E. I mean, we can talk about that briefly when talking about timed races, because that was fun when we went in 2021. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was an interesting race. I mean, <laughs> this is the thing with timed races. And, you know, yes, it's really interesting seeing teams guess how many laps there are going to be in a race. But if you're those teams who, let's be honest, have shown pretty good pace all season and you've done a minor miscalculation of missing out a lap in an entire race, meaning you can't reach the full race distance, it's, it's confusing for the audience and ultimately for the team itself that messed up or teams in this case. Well, yeah, everybody except the Mercedes pretty much didn't finish. Um, Nick de Vries just was like, it was like Moses and the Red Sea just came flying through the middle, <laughs> which um, was, it was a very, very interesting race, that Valencia one. But um, yeah, they had, they had chicanes down the straight, just wall, a bit further on wall. So you had to navigate through. Yeah. And it felt weird because I feel like that, that's not how this should be. Like, if Portland has such a nice, long front straight. These cars are much quicker in a straight line than the previous ones. We want to see that overtaking. We want to we, we see the power of the cars. If the future is electric, yeah. the cars have got to be able to show it. Because in terms of downforce, the downforce is impressive. Every racing car's downforce, especially an open-wheel racing car's downforce, is impressive. But we want to see the sheer speed off them. And, you know, if they're going to hinder that, it's not been confirmed, um, like, what they're going to do with the Portland International Raceway, if even they are going to go there, but we assume they are. Um, if that, if that's, mm. if, if, you know, if there, are, if there is a mobile chicane, it's almost like, well, what's the point of the quicker cars? I know they're more energy efficient, but we want to see the raw speed. That's why we're here, uh, I guess. Um, what do you think? I mean, Formula E have always done quite weird things where it's come to track layouts. I mean, I remember Monaco when Gen 1 was around in 2014 where they completely cut the first corner and went immediately to the new chicane, I think it was. Um, but it, they, they've always done quite weird things to their track layouts. And 
they you could never really truly see the top speed of this car. I mean, I know in Mexico City you had a really long main straight after basically a flat out final corner. But another thing that I'd actually quite want to see is less drivers focusing on regenerating the amount of electrical energy, if you like. So worrying about how much battery they've got left. Because something F1 did was they increased the fuel load in the car so that drivers will be able to use higher power for longer periods of time. In Formula E, drivers, they're not even allowed to stay on the accelerator the full amount of time because of battery power. And I think going into this new gen, we want to see more of drivers pushing like to the max rather than caring about, oh, I need to generate 1% of electrical energy here and 1% electrical energy there. It's, we want to see these cars go flat out and ultimately, hopefully we see that in Gen 3. Yeah, and it's almost, it used to be some fans' frustrations um, with the fuel, but also especially with the tyres in Formula 1. We still have that problem with tyres. I, I don't know what it is, but the somehow in the Pirelli structure, we can't push on them for significant periods of time without them overheating. But obviously, if you see the F1 cars under fuel now, um, anticipating safety cars, stuff like that. So we don't get a situation where in 2015, Fernando Alonso's engineer saying we must save fuel, we must target zero. And he's like, I don't want to. So yeah. I feel like Formula One has managed to rectify that issue. The new battery, they've had to delay the um, the, the charge pit stops. Um, maybe the technology doesn't quite uh, provide you know, for it just quite yet. Yeah. But we're getting there, which is going to be very exciting. And you were talking about pushing flat out to the max, which actually leads us very nicely onto our next point, because that's what Stefano Domenicali talked about for sprint races. So we did have the sprint calendar revealed, um, which six tracks are going to be taking on the sprints. Some interesting picks in there. Um, Baku was an eye-opener. So was Spa. We're going to have about a three-lap race round Spa like it's an F1 2022 open lobby. <laughs> but obviously Brazil stays because it was a, it's a staple of providing world-class sprint races. Yeah. The one Brazil's always created good racing. The one this year, um, I, me and Dylan have spoken about this twice now. It was almost a different sport watching Brazil to Abu Dhabi. It was unbelievably different. Um, so, yeah, so the sprint calendar was revealed. Any any ones we want to really delve into? Well, what do we think about six sprints as well? In terms of more generally, what place does a sprint race have? I mean, we've already... I mean, for the last year or two, we've heard, oh, we want to change the F1 weekend schedule, if you like, and we want to see more wheel-to-wheel racing. But sprint races have always had that feeling of drivers trying to preserve their their race position, their starting position in the main race, where ultimately you're going to get the main points. I mean, yes, we they increased the point system to go down to eighth, but ultimately the amount of points in a sprint race are nowhere near that in a real F1 race. Um, but I think key thing, just looking at the calendar, is Baku, you know, that definitely opened all of our eyes, just looking at that, because we know how F2 sprint races have gotten on there. But there's a different feel. I don't know what it's. There's a different feel about F1 sprint races to F2 sprint races because of the fact that that's basically qualifying. Um, I don't know what you think about it, James. Well, I think I get why they do sprint races, right? 
Because say if I was to watch, I don't know what motor. I I don't what motorsport I don't pick up on. If I was to watch, say MotoGP, if I was starting watching, I'd start with the races, and then as I got more into it, this is actually what I did with IndyCar a few years ago. Um, I'd start with the races, and then I'd get into IndyCar qualifying, and then I get into the practice sessions. So you know I could learn, and just because I like seeing cars go round in circles. But then, if I'm a casual viewer, yeah, I'm able to. You know, I'm able to do that. Um, and F1 wants more people to tap in. So someone who maybe wanted to watch Saturday and Sunday is now going to watch Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And someone who was just going to watch Sunday is now going to watch Saturday and Sunday. So it's interesting. Maybe sprint races are a separate championship. Or maybe the qualifying session on a Friday is for the sprint. And we have a qualifying on Saturday morning for the main race. Because let's face it. Does anybody do anything in FP2? The cars are locked in for Park Ferme. Nobody does any representative running, realistically. So, I get that when Brundle's going, oh, this is better than a race. This is better than a practice session on us. Um, of course it's better than a practice session. But at the same time, what's the point? Like, the only real big qualms that we saw was when in, Bra in Britain, Perez spun out of, of the sprint race, had to start the back. And almost the sprint race kind of ruins it a bit because Kevin Magnussen starting on pole for the Brazilian Grand Prix itself would have been awesome. We wanted to see that. Oh, when Sainz and Perez got knocked out in Q2 in Imola, they just made it up in the sprint. And I think they started third and fourth. Not that it mattered for Sainz anyway. He went to find a gravel trap. But, like, <laughs> it kind of kills the weekend almost because that intrigue from Saturday to Sunday is passed from Friday to Saturday. And very rarely do we have intrigue pass across from Saturday to Sunday. That's just what I think. Yeah, I mean, we've always, I mean, as I was saying, you always are looking at drivers just trying to hold their position. I don't think, apart from Hamilton, Brazil 2021, where he, let's be honest, that drive of his in the sprint race was just electric. But th that's the thing about sprint races. Unless you've got a top driver in a top car starting P20 and trying to work himself his way up into an actual race winning position you don't really have anything to go from in a sprint race because they're ultimately just trying to keep their their front nose clean so that they could get the main points on sunday yeah it's a it's a tricky one for f1 to think about a potential you know sprint calendar maybe but then a, if you're sprint world champion like, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> or if they do count, but we go Friday to Saturday, Saturday to Sunday, then we're just having two races, like a doubleheader weekend. And it's all, again, it's what's the point. So I understand what they're doing. A viewership in, in Austria was up 37% for Saturday. But of course it would be. It's cars racing each other. So they've got to pick the tracks carefully and they've got to, they've got to be good. But uh, I don't know. It bugs me a little bit. That's that's what I'm gonna say. Yeah, I'm I'm just looking at I'm looking at Qatar, and I mean apart from that long main straight where we just saw DRS pass after DRS pass, ultimately are we gonna see much wheel to wheel racing? I mean yes, we haven't raced there in this new 2022 regulation car if you like, but. I remember the race in 2021, and apart from the tyre farce at the end, where we saw drivers getting punctures left, right and centre, we didn't really see 
wheel-to-wheel racing that makes sprint races exciting. I mean, we saw at Austria, we saw Hamilton and Mick Schumacher putting up a huge battle, fighting over, I think it was seventh place or something. Yeah, it was. And I, I'm looking at Qatar, and I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I hope not, but... <laughs> it's, a, it's a tricky choice. Maybe with the new cars, the cars are not quite as fast through the corners, and maybe there's more scope for the for some action but I agree I think it's a it's a tricky way to uh, a tricky one to justify same with Belgium really having so few laps and Baku as well again so few laps I guess for Baku there's much more scope for things to go wrong but then again people are just going to keep their nose clean it's going to be like 2016 Baku where everyone was so scared of things going wrong but it was one of the worst races of the hybrid era so you know uh, can you remember a single thing that happened in that race (laughs) <laughs> Not really. I mean, I, I just think that if the sprint race at Baku is bonkers, then we will be in for a bonkers main race. If we have a really dull sprint race at Baku, I think, you know, Sunday, yeah, it can always come, like, or a few surprises can always come along, but but Baku is just so bonkers. It's why we love it. It's an it just all or nothing track. Different. Yeah, it's very much an all or nothing track. And let's say in a sprint race, let's say I think if we have a top driver in a top car starting P20 because they crashed into the castle <laughs> section, I think that could produce some a very interesting sprint race. But otherwise, I think we might be in for a bit of a dull one. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's definitely something to think about. And, you know, if it works brilliantly, we'll be looking very red-faced come come June. But I think that's everything to wrap up this week's talk. Sorry, it's a little bit late. Um, we've had not only some technical problems, if you've seen on Apple Podcasts, um, so we were trying to get that fixed, which is why this was not out on Tuesday. And then, as well, Taran's joining me instead of Dylan this week, which, so, which is great to have him on. We might rotate some of the different members of the uh, single-seater space team. Um, but it's been uh, it's been a really nice chat for uh, single seater space podcast this week. So we will see you next week. Bye, everyone.